Well, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful once again to be here and to open your word together to study, to look into it, to once again have our lives <coughs> impacted by what you say and by what you mean. Lord, we are thankful that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides down to the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts and sees all of the areas where we do not see in any area that we hide from others you see and you use your surgical preciseness to affect us in those areas that we might be like Christ. We thank you for that. Bless our time tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sitting there tonight listening to you share about what you've learned from our study in Romans, and I was thankful. I I said, you know, not oftentimes do I get to hear people say what they've learned from what I've taught or what somebody else has taught. And you always wonder, as a pastor and as a preacher, are people understanding what you're saying? Do they do they get that? And you get it. So that's that's good. That's that's a great thing. I I was excited. I said to my wife, this is very encouraging. So would you take your Bibles with me and open them to our study of Galatians. We're returning back to Galatians. We're focusing our attention tonight on Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. I was thinking recently of the several men from our church who've had the privilege to preach and to teach from this very pulpit standing before God's people speaking the truth of God, I believe that they would all attest and say that it is a sobering and daunting task. Just the reality as one who speaks, knowing that every word is held before God in His all-hearing ears and His all-seeing eyes as He sees what is happening And each word held to account upon the speaking of it, that's eternally a weighty reality to realize. And so when we open our Bibles, when we take our Bibles and we're going to study what God says, it's imperative that we understand that each person who speaks the Scriptures doesn't get to choose what they want to say from any given text. They don't just get to say whatever it is they feel like saying. In fact, in one sense, the text chooses them. The text says what it says, and it means what it means. This is what makes expository preaching so wonderful, and what I believe the only way really to rightly preach and to teach the Word of God, because in doing that, we simply just take the Scriptures as they come. We just open the Bible say, here's the passage we are in. We take the Scriptures as they come. We don't get to pick and choose the topics that we talk about. We don't get to pick and choose what we're going to hear. And we don't have the freedom, really, as ambassadors of God to do that, to just pick the comfortable issues. We don't have the freedom as teachers, as believers, as Christians, just to pick and choose and stay away from those things that make it difficult. We, we don't just get to walk the road that's easy, the road that is comfortable to our understanding. No, we just take the text as it comes. We just open the Bible and we study a book of the Bible. We take what is coming next in the text. And sometimes that challenges us in ways we may not have been expecting. So we're going to do that again tonight. We are simply following the flow of the Apostle Paul in his heart as he writes with his urgency in his voice, this desire that the churches in the region known as Galatia understand the true gospel. They understand what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have said this before, and I think it's worth repeating Again, we have really said it even already tonight as you were all sharing about what you've learned from our previous studies. 
But if we get anything right in evangelicalism as Christians at, as a whole, we better get the gospel right. We can do all kinds of things differently and have all kinds of uh, variations to how we might approach worship and the carrying out of the methodology of those certain things. But the one thing we have to get right is the gospel because eternal souls depend upon the gospel. In other words, if the gospel is adjusted in even the slightest of ways, if the vibrancy at which God has given us all the beauty of the gospel is altered or edited, even in the smallest of ways, then we no longer have God's gospel, which is the only gospel that saves we modify it, if we lessen it, if we soften it, if we change it, if we distort it, if we do anything to adjust the gospel, then we no longer have the gospel that will save. We find ourselves tonight in Galatians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 21. And I want to I want to read all these for us, but I really want to go back to verse one of chapter two and read from there because I think we need to hear it again. We've been away for a while. We need to hear what we've already talked about from the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul so that we can set the context and the stage for what we need to hear tonight. The Apostle Paul, of course, really begins back in chapter 1 and verse 11 when he says to them, you know, brethren, that the gospel which I preached, which preached was by me, is not according to man. This is not man's gospel. This is not man's words. This is not made up by me. This is God's gospel. And he said, after an interval of 14 years, chapter 2, verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did it in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. There was a caution in my mind, Paul says, because I wanted to ensure that the gospel I taught, which I knew to be God's gospel and was the right gospel, was the same gospel that they were teaching. Not because I thought I was wrong, because, but because I wanted to ensure that both avenues, both to the Jews and the Gentiles, was on the same road. But not even Titus, who was with me, verse 3, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we didn't even, it did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Implication, had we yielded to them at any level, had we adjusted our gospel at any way that we had been preaching all over the place, then the gospel you have wouldn't be the true gospel. But from those who were of high reputation, verse 6, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. But those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for the one who effectually worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked that we remember the poor. This is the very thing we were eager to do. So Paul says, listen, our gospel was on the same track. We were doing the same thing. We were preaching the same gospel. This was God's gospel. It was an unadulterated, unchanged, undiluted gospel that they were preaching to the circumcised that we were preaching to the uncircumcised. They were preaching to the Jews 
we were preaching to the Gentiles, it was the same gospel. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found among or been found sinners, is Christ then minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild that which once I have destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Imagine for a moment as we sit here tonight in the 21st century, imagine for a moment you're living in the first century. Imagine you are in your community. Imagine that you have lived in the area in which you have lived that was not particularly a religious area toward the Creator God in any kind of way. Imagine that there were a smattering of Jewish people in and amongst your community there who had set up their own synagogue. They were going about their Jewish religion, but for the most part, the people worshipped mystical gods in your area. They worshipped things like the sun and the moon, various idols, different Greek gods. And then also imagine at some point in your day, this educated Jewish man comes to town and he he begins to tell you of the one whom he calls the living God. And he's preaching to you about repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about the resurrection of the dead, that this living God has appointed a day in which He's going to judge both the living and the dead by this man, Jesus Christ, because of their sin. But He says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you will believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He says that you'll be saved. He's telling you that you need to turn from the worship of these vain idols and turn in faith to the living God who made the heaven and the earth. Well, it convicts your heart and you believe. God miraculously has opened your eyes and you believe what He has told you about God. You repent of your sin. You turn in faith to the living God and God saves you from your sin. And you begin to go about living now this new, fresh life in Christ, by faith in Christ, and you begin to live the gospel. You're walking by faith. Life for you is changed. And then someone else comes along. 
this other one comes along and they begin to challenge what you have heard. They begin to challenge what you have believed. They begin to say to you that you need to follow certain religious practices. You need to do certain things in order to actually be saved from your sins. Well, you don't live in the 21st century. You live in the 1st century. You don't have a Bible. You, you don't have a copy on the shelf or three copies in your home or one you can run down to the local market and pick up on the shelf of your local store. You don't have a Bible that you can turn to and see if what they're saying is actually right. In fact, all you have is what you have been told to you, what has been shared with you by this other Christian man, the original truth that you heard, and now others are saying something different, and they too seem very authentic. But what these others are saying is, is contradicting what you have heard before. And, and all of this is very confusing to you. All of this is a challenge to you, and some of your friends are beginning to embrace this new information. Some are even being circumcised according to this new word, to this Jewish law. They're believing that through this act, they are now being justified before God. All of it's causing you a lot of trouble. You don't know what to do. Well, beloved, that's the environment that the Apostle Paul is encountering with the Galatian churches. That's what's happening. This is why the Apostle Paul is so adamant about defending the unaltered gospel. Because any outward activity in the lives of confessing believers that might detract from the true saving Gospel is eternally dangerous for those who see it. It is eternally dangerous for those who definitely believe in it, especially if it's a contradiction that happens in the life of someone who's a spiritual leader. So Paul is giving his defense. Paul is giving his defense to the believers in Galatia as to why his gospel is the true gospel. And even the portion we've read in chapter 2, even if you go all the way back to chapter 1, you see that Paul continues to give defense after defense as to why his is the true gospel. And here we are in chapter 2, Paul highlighting how easy it is how easy it is to stray away from the truth of the gospel, even for a mature Christian. How easy it is for us, as Christians who believe the gospel, to in subtle ways begin to stray away from the true gospel. The disastrous and tragic situation And it began to take place in Antioch. And it involved none other than the Apostle Peter. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, But when Cephas came to Antioch. Cephas is Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, he needed to be opposed. Why? Because he was living in such a way that was detracting from the gospel. And a large part of the church had begun to stray away from the truth of the gospel. And notice, it was by means of, verse 13, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This is the subject matter that is on Paul's heart. In these verses, Paul hones in on Christian hypocrisy. Mark this down. Note this to yourself in your own heart. You probably already are thinking about this in your own mind, but hypocrisy is continually lurking as a threat to any of us. Continually lurking as a threat for us as believers. And most often, 
when we fail to live according to the truth of the gospel, it's not because the gospel is not understood by us. No, it's simply because of some kind of blatant hypocrisy. We certainly have seen a lot and hear a lot about hypocrisy in our world today. We don't have to look very far to see it on display, and we certainly don't have to look far to hear it be championed by societal leaders. And from the very word itself, and how it is used by many in the media around us, you would think that hypocrisy is a virtue rather than a vice. And so because of that, it's imperative, I think, that we take a look at this question. What is hypocrisy? What is hypocrisy? The world would tell us that a hypocrite is anybody that doesn't live up to what their proclaimed ideals are. If you don't live up to your proclaimed ideals, then you are a hypocrite. If you fail at practicing what you proclaim, then you are a hypocrite. You've probably heard this sometime in your own Christian life. You better practice what you preach. The implication of that is that if you don't practice what you preach, you're a hypocrite. But is that a correct way to define hypocrisy? In other words, is hypocrisy simply not practicing what you proclaim as true? Is that hypocrisy? Is that a, is that a full orb definition of hypocrisy? I want to say tonight that if, if that is the definition of hypocrisy, then each and every one of us are never-ending hypocrites. When someone says to us, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, they would be right. If hypocrisy is simply not living up to the very things that you believe, then all of us are, in fact, never-ending hypocrites because even as Christians, and especially as Christians, I don't think there's a day that has passed whereby we always live up to the standard of what we profess as truth. I don't think any of us would dare say everything that here is here in the Scriptures that I believe to be the Word of God is exactly how I live every day. We're continuing to fail as believers. So is that what Paul is talking about here in this passage when he says that the Apostle Peter and some other Jews and even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy? Is he saying that Peter and the Jews who had believed and Barnabas, is he saying that they just weren't living up to what they preached? Or is it deeper than that? In other words, is hypocrisy just simply not practicing what you preach, or is hypocrisy actually more sinister than that? Well, in one sense, hypocrisy is no less than not living up to what we profess. It's no less than that. That certainly is a form of, in one sense, hypocrisy, if it is willful. It's not simply that you don't live up to what you believe. We all fail at doing that. But if it's willful that I'm not living up to that, that then that's hypocrisy. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. In fact, the word hypocrisy has its roots really in ancient times. That is simply to say that it's been with humanity for a very, very long time. In ancient times, the, those who acted in plays, those who acted in plays were identified as hypocrites. I think that is funny. I find that somewhat ironic when we Think about today in Hollywood. They're all actors. Hollywood is filled then with hypocrites. 
actors by way of definition. That's what a hypocrite is, someone who acts. That's what the word carries. The word carries the idea of being purposeful in concealing your true identity. Now think about that. It's purposefully concealing who you really are. That's what an actor is doing when they perform. They are playing a part. They are concealing who they really are and playing a part. They are purposefully being someone other than their true self. So when someone is hypocritical, it's more than simply not living up to the standard they profess. More than that, it's that they are deliberately masking their true self. They are purposefully hiding their true feelings. They are purposely, conscientiously disguising their true character, their true thoughts, their true convictions. In other words, they are knowingly playing a part that really isn't them. That's why we can call it play acting. They're play acting. This is what the Apostle Paul sees happening with the Apostle Peter. This is what he sees happening with the other Jews in the church at Antioch. In doing so, they are thereby editing the true gospel in the eyes of others. They are saying that the true gospel isn't what we were doing before, it is what we are doing now. And as we will see next time, this is why the Apostle Paul gets pretty pointed in his words when he says... Is Christ then, in verse 17, a minister of sin? In other words, if when I was seeking to live out my faith in this way and saying it was right and following other people, and now I'm changing that, really what I'm saying is that I was now a sinner in doing what was the gospel. Because now I've changed the gospel. And therefore, is Christ a minister of that kind of sin? So Paul is urgent about the truth of the gospel because the apostle Peter has edited it in the eyes of those who are watching him. And astonishingly, they were covering up what they truly believed about the gospel. And the question is, why? Why? Because, verse 12, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. Some Jewish brothers had come to visit from Jerusalem, men from James, a reputed leader in the church, Jesus' half-brother. And when they came, Peter changed how he lived. Prior to anybody showing up, Peter was just going about living out the true gospel. He was going about living his life by faith. He was free in Christ. He was dining with the Gentiles. He was gathering with those whom the Jews before said you could not be with. He was living as if there was no dietary rules that have to be followed in order to be a good Christian. Where did he learn that? Where did he learn that freedom in Christ that he could eat whatever God said? He learned that from Christ himself, Acts chapter 10. When God had dispatched Peter to Cornelius the Gentile, he gave him that vision of the cloth coming down and the animals being on it, and God said, whatever I, man, whatever I declare, you can eat. And so Peter and all these Jewish Christians are now in Antioch, and they're living in freedom from the law. They understood that justification before God was by faith alone. They understood that. They, they got the gospel. And because of that, they're genuinely fellowshipping with their Gentile brothers. Peter's there. Peter had already heard from Paul when he was in Jerusalem before, and now Peter has come. 
He's with his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. But when others came, others who championed a false gospel, what did Peter do? Well, he began, it says, to stay aloof from the Gentile brothers and sisters. He began to draw away. In other words, he began to act differently. He began to act differently. Paul says that he began to be aloof. The word is aphorizo, aphorizo, aloof. It's a, it's a compound word in the original language. Apa is the prefix, and apa means away from, away from. And the other word is the word where we get horizon. Horizo is, is the word where we get horizon. Horizon is just a boundary. It is a, 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 a boundary. When you look at the sky, there is a horizon. There's a place where the earth and the sky seemingly meet. That's the horizon. It's an artificial boundary. It's a division, a separator. And so what was Peter doing? Peter was setting up an arbitrary boundary between him and the Gentiles. He willfully chose to live and through his living thereby proclaim a gospel that would not save. You see, so hypocrisy isn't simply just not living up to what you say you believe. That's weakness. Can be sinful, but it's most often weakness. Not necessarily is it hypocrisy, and more importantly, that isn't what Paul is talking about here in Galatians when he challenges Peter. He's not saying to Peter, hey, Peter, listen, you're just not living up with what you say you believe. No, he didn't do that. This was a public condemnation because Peter was a hypocrite. He challenged him about his hypocrisy. And that, beloved, is when a Christian willfully lives, willfully lives by the true gospel in one place and then deliberately chooses to cover it up in another place. That's hypocrisy. To say, this is the gospel that saves here. This is the gospel that I'm telling you is the saving gospel here. But when I'm over here, it's a different gospel. It's an adjusted gospel. It's a changed gospel. It comes a different way. Hypocrisy is when you and I willingly live like unbelievers when we are believers. Let me say that again. Hypocrisy is when you and I live like unbelievers when we are believers. This is what Peter is doing in Antioch. He's willfully choosing to cover his true convictions with fake convictions. He's play-acting. The Bible defines that as hypocrisy. And its consequences are destructive. Biblical hypocrisy is a willful act of dishonesty and disloyalty. That's what Peter is doing. And Paul says, I, I had to oppose him to his face. This, this is that serious. This is a reputed leader in the church. This is a spiritual leader. I, I had to oppose him to his face. This isn't something I could just say, hey, brother, I need to talk to you about something. This was to his face public condemnation. It was that serious. That's what Peter was doing. But why? 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 And, 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 and the greater question <clears throat> is what tempts us to play the hypocrite today? What tempts us to play the hypocrite? Well, look, look at Peter's case. Paul says, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party 
of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. We know that hypocrisy was the outcome. What was the cause? What was the cause? Well, upon first glance, we could say, well, it was peer pressure. It's obvious. Peer pressure, right? I mean, doesn't the text here say that he was eating with the Gentiles until some came from Jerusalem? So obviously it was the peer pressure. The implication is that these people were those who who knew Peter back home. These were people who who Peter was a leader back in the church in Jerusalem. They they knew who Peter was. He was one of those of reputation that Paul had spoke about. But those who came knew Peter, and he knew that they knew him. And so... Some would say there's this strong social pressure to be different in front of them. But I want us to notice something here in Paul's words. Because Paul doesn't say peer pressure was the cause. In fact, peer pressure is just the avenue of temptation. It's like the street of temptation. It's the outside circumstance that's that's going on. It's it's what's taking place, the circumstance in which Peter is involved in, but that's not the cause of his hypocrisy. The actual motivating factor for Peter was not peer pressure. The act of the actual motivating factor Paul gives us here in verse 12. He stayed aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. Peter was afraid. Peter was afraid. Phobos, that's the word. Phobos, phobia, fear. He was frightened. Peter was afraid. He was fearful of some kind of relational impact that would happen between he and them if he didn't live in a way that was acceptable to them. Peter was afraid, get this, this is the Apostle Peter, this is why it's so easy for us, the Apostle Peter was afraid of being the one who was going to be singled out. He was afraid of standing alone. Notice that Paul says he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. Why? Fearing. Fearing. Fearing the party of the circumcision. What was the cause of Peter's hypocrisy? It was fear. Fear. He feared those he once used to be part of. He feared the crowd, the men that he used to be part of. Why? Because they had the ability to put Peter out of their circle. It's an important point there. There's an important implication there for us that we cannot miss a love for a place in the influential circle a love for a place in the group in the midst of those who live contrary to scripture a love for a place in the midst of that group will lead a person to hypocrisy a love for being a part, a love for having a chair at the table, if you will. A love for being someone who's going to be left out of the group if you don't. If that is your love in your heart, if that is there latently in your heart, it will lead you down the road to hypocrisy. Maybe we should say it another way. If you are unwilling to stand alone in the truth of the gospel, if you're unwilling to stand alone in the truth of the gospel, then you will edit the gospel that you believe in order to fit in with the false group. 
you're unwilling to stand alone with the truth of the gospel and in the truth of the gospel, then you will inevitably edit the gospel that you say you believe in order to be part of a group that does not believe the gospel. Hypocrisy was Peter's sin. And notice, notice that just underneath the mask of hypocrisy is an actual love for having others accept you. Prior to the coming of certain men, prior to these coming who believed that justification was by works, Peter was living as he ought. But once they came, right underneath the mask of his new living was this love for acceptance by them. He wanted to be with them. He was fearing the party of the circumcision. He actually loved his place with those who came from the old life. He loved it. So we need to each mark it in our hearts tonight, an inordinate desire to have people accept us, an inordinate desire for us to be accepted by those we once used to walk with will make us dangerous servants of Christ. We're not saying Peter was a lost soul here, but Peter was now being used by his own willfulness as an instrument of danger for the church, for those who believe the gospel. Remember how the Apostle Paul describes himself back in chapter 1, verse 10? Really prior to that, Paul said, I'm amazed, verse 6, at how you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really isn't another gospel at all, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul says, listen, you were saved by grace through faith. It wasn't of you, it's not of works, it's all in Christ, it's by faith in Christ, and I'm amazed that you want to go back to something that you used to think was something that was going to save you but never would, the works salvation. I'm amazed at that. But it's not something that's going to save you, it's just somebody who stepped in to distort the gospel of Christ, somebody that was stepped in to disturb you, to stir the waters... Paul says, but even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we've preached, then let us be damned. We're accursed, anathema. And I'll say it again, he said, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Then in verse 10, Paul says, Am I now seeking the favor of men? That's what people are saying I do. People are saying that I just say whatever I need to say in order to garner a a standing with people. That I change, that I put on the hypocrite's mask wherever men are (coughs) so that I'll have favor with them. Well, in telling you that if someone brings another gospel and even an angel from heaven brings another gospel, let them be accursed. So if I, even I came and told you something different than I already told you that I should be accursed, am I, am I now looking for the favor of men? Am I, am I now play acting? Am I looking for the favor of men or, or, or am I seeking the favor of God? Am I striving to please men? Because if I were still striving to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. I wouldn't be standing alone over here. I wouldn't be telling you the hard things that I'm telling you. And in fact, I wouldn't be opposing Cephas to his very face. Underneath the mask of Peter's hypocrisy is this love for having another accept him. An inordinate desire to have people accept us will make us a dangerous servant for Christ. 
hypocrisy is how those who desire to please all people easily make their way through difficult situations when being challenged. They do it with hypocrisy. When they're being challenged and the situation's getting difficult and they don't want to be in that difficult situation anymore, they don't want to stand alone, they put on the mask and they resort to putting it on just to avoid being left out. Peter feared being socially left out. So what did Peter do? He reached for a mask. Reached for a mask to cover up his true conviction. (laughs) And the sad part is, others were being affected by it. He was withdrawing, setting up an artificial distance, an artificial boundary between he and the Gentiles. And so we can never underestimate the impact we're having on others through our unwillingness to stand alone for Christ. Can't underestimate that. Thought about this as I was thinking through this. I wonder how many sons and daughters growing up in homes that claim to believe in Christ, that claim to live for Christ, how many sons and daughters have been led away from the true gospel because of the hypocrisy that they see in their Christian parents? Oh, certainly we have no ability to save our children. Certainly we have no ability to get them into the kingdom of heaven, but we certainly have the ability to affect the gospel that they see. How often have children within our homes, kids that live within our roofs, grandkids that live in proximity to us, how often have they been turned away from the true gospel because of our hypocrisy just to try to not create a rift or to keep, as we say in Christian circles, to keep the door open. How many Bible students in colleges or seminaries are led into an unbiblical direction simply because of the hypocrisy of a professor that they respect? because that professor simply is unwilling to stand alone and against aberrant theologies that go along with the drifting tide of other fellow professors with whom they work, and in unwillingness to stand alone, they now, in doing that, lead others astray in their hypocrisy. I wonder how many church members are led into believing untruths because some spiritual leader, some pastor, some Sunday school teacher is unwilling to rightly divide and therefore speak the undiluted truth of Christ in the church for fear that it might simply offend some of their friends. One author put it this way, quote, we must recognize that the more willing we are to be crucified with Christ, the less likely we will be to play act around others. Unquote. I like that. The more willing we are to be crucified with Christ, the less likely we will be to play act around others. So how do we remedy it? How do we remedy this? How do we avoid this trap that Peter seemed to step into? Well, first, realize how harmful hypocrisy is. Notice the rest of the Jews joined him with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. It's a harmful thing. It's a dangerous thing. We cannot underestimate. We cannot lessen in any kind of way in our heart and our understanding the severe impact that hypocrisy from us can have on others. It is not just harmful to ourselves. It is harmful to others. Notice how harmful it was to Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned, it says. 
It says he was to be condemned. He, he was to be one who needed to be publicly rebuked. That's a strong implication for us. Peter was liable before God. He was liable to receive the judgment of God upon him. He didn't repent of his hypocrisy. That's how dangerous it is. Brings judgment, brings condemnation. Brings condemnation from our loving God through the hands of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it brings the removal from this earth. In fact, notice how Paul says it in chapter 6. Turn over to chapter 6 just for a second. Notice what he says. This is so serious. Let the one who is taught, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall also the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is so dangerous to oneself. It's even more deadly to others. They'll believe a gospel that does not save. If, if, if we were to get one of the cordless mics and pass it around tonight and talk to any of us, all of us could share some sad tale of how each of us have been hurt by someone's hypocrisy. The worst kind of hypocrisy is religious hypocrisy. Why? Because so much is at stake. The world has its hypocrites. Certainly we've seen our share. Their effect can be on economics. We've seen that. Their effects can be on social relationships. Certainly we've seen that in politics. But religious hypocrites affect eternal destinations. Once Peter chose to live hypocritically, he infected others with it. And that infection soon affected the whole community. Even Paul's missions partner was affected by it. You talk about a virus. Nothing more contagious than that. What was the only thing to stop the spread? I can tell you this, it wasn't isolation from one another. As soon as it affected the whole community, it was a calling out of the wrong. A confrontation about the truth, that's what it was. That's, that's, that's the, the cure The cure isn't to to get away from one another, to keep doors open, to silently just hide things around the corner and smooth over things. No, it's to confront with the truth. Peter needed to be confronted with the truth. That's what Paul's saying. When Cephas came to me in Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul's not saying, listen, we got up in front of everybody and had an argument, had it out. No, Paul's saying, listen, Peter, you're not teaching the right gospel. You're living a gospel that will condemn others to hell. That's not what you believe. You're play acting. Confronted him with the truth. If it wasn't confronted, it was going to infect the entire area of Galatia. That's what Paul's concerned about. That's why Paul's letter is so adamant and so urgent. In fact, in some ways, it had already infected the whole area. Chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? That's the only thing I want to find out, Paul says. I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's what I want to know. Which gospel are you believing? Listen, the gospel I gave was a gospel of faith in Christ alone, not faith plus works. So did you receive that spirit by works or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit, verse 3, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You went through a lot of suffering. a A lot of things happened to you in life because you believed in Jesus Christ. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, it was in vain. Was it worthless that you did those things? It had, in some ways, already infected the whole area. The hypocrisy they had already had, it already had its impact. Even with a short visit, it already had its impact. And so we have to remember that playing the hypocrite is actually doing more than simply just setting a bad example. It's not that. Surely it is that, but it's, it's more than that. Our own hypocrisy might actually be compelling others to follow a different gospel. To believe that they're okay in Jesus Christ if they live the way we are. A hypocritical life, one that doesn't save at all. It's a sobering challenge to us. Sobering challenge for us who are parents, us who are grandparents, us who have people watching our lives at every turn. We are key influencers. Influencers in the home, influencers in the workplace. We need to examine Examine the places where we're tempted to play act. Examine the places where it's easy for us to adjust in front of our children, in our grandchildren, in front of those who are watching. No one else may know, but they will. They'll know. And you know who else knows? God. God does. God knows. He's the one we're going to answer to for it. We might be in the workplace, we stay quiet, we avoid conversations. They might have a potential for exposing me to, to being a follower of Christ, or at least being someone who's, who's more zealous about Christ than I want to be known to be zealous for. And so in order to remain hidden, I play act, put on my mask, careful, The caution here for us to be careful. God sees it. God will not be mocked. Paul's words are a sobering reminder that when we are tempted to play act, we're tempted to hide what we profess to believe, not only can we infect other Christians, Not only can we lead them to do the same things, but we can also impact those who are unsaved and even cause them to follow a gospel that does not save at all. So it's our task to stay true to the gospel. That's what Peter's saying. We need to stay true to the gospel. Peter says, I saw they weren't straightforward. They weren't straightforward about the truth of the gospel. We need to be straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So Peter squares off, or Paul squares off with Peter for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the Gentiles, that they might have the true gospel. Even if that means... He has to stand alone. So that's our task. Stay true to the gospel, even if that means we have to stand alone. Even if that means we're all by ourselves, not part of the group. It's okay. Well, we'll get more next time. We'll get more next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this brief look at what hypocrisy is. Challenge for us, I know in my own heart, to always examine things, examine my own heart, examine the things that I say or not say, what I do, 
where I do it, why I do it. All the things that you've taught us already from our study previously, it's easy for us as Christians here, at least in this church, to know that salvation is by faith alone, and yet oftentimes we live differently. In the face of others, sometimes we just hide it. We hide the truth. Lord, we're grateful that you're a forgiving God. We don't want to rest simply there and brush it off as if it's nothing. We want to take these things seriously, sober-mindedly, looking at our own life, examining ourselves, seeing exactly how we're living in our homes, in our workplaces, in the grocery store, in a world that's confused, in a world that's fearful, in a world that doesn't want to know you, they need to see you. You have saved us that they might see the gospel as well as hear the gospel. May we be that instrument. All for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.